Well, hello there, terrible warriors. It's me, Justin. It's wonderful that you have returned to me once more for another of our Spotlight interviews. As you know, this year we're not actually playing our actual play shows. We are taking a, a, a break, a respite from our tabletop adventures to do things like Session Zero, where we're creating new characters and kind of treating it like a tabletop role-playing book club. Uh, and I'm also doing the spotlight interviews, as you have seen in today's uh, chapter title, where I am talking to other podcasters who are doing actual play shows, because I know you miss us playing these games. I miss playing these games. And while you miss us, I would like to recommend you to other shows that are out there doing some really cool things, some interesting content that you could subscribe to and listen and maybe discover uh, some new stories that you could enjoy uh, and broaden your horizons, as it were. And so today on our Spotlight interview, I am joined with, uh, well, actually, you've already met him if you are a longtime listener on the podcast. He joined us for our Kickstarter special where we played Root, uh, the role-playing game from Magpie Games. You would recall him as uh, playing the uh, scoundrel character who used all of his own clothing as improvised weapons. Uh, and it was a riot. Uh, welcome back, Sean Howard. Thanks, Justin. That was a lot of fun, that game. <laughs> was a lot of fun. I I remember actually just cracking up as I was editing it. I I I uh trying to pay attention to the quality of the sound and I'm just going like what is happening? And uh and shot when you're not taking off your clothes and turning them into uh, boleros. Oh, I'll stop. You Sorry, uh, I was just also making a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> you were, uh, uh, I originally know you uh, as uh, one of the founders of the Alba Salix radio drama, the um, uh, royal physician. And uh, from that, you have a slew of radio drama podcasts that you also make, which I just, I love this whole resurgence of scripted radio adventures uh, that have been popping up all over on on uh, on podcast marketplaces and then from that uh the reason i am able to justify talking to you here today is you also have the end of time and other bothers which i believe is an actual play based on the world of one of your radio dramas as well correct by the letter of the law yes <laughs> it's, it's all very loosey-goosey uh, but so let, I guess take me back then to like um, you've got a network of podcasts, uh, but it must have had a, a beginning. Uh, how, how, where, where do we start? Where would you like us to begin this this story of of your uh, of your adventures on audio based theater of the mind entertainment? Yeah, I guess um my partner Eli had this idea of creating a show that was half Shrek, half House. So it's it's like the TV show, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a fairy tale, but it's got a witch who runs a house of healing. And she is not all, not necessarily always on the good side. Uh, we started that in like 2011. And then in 2014, I think we released it. I mean, it was recorded. I think the first episode was in our living room and we had blankets everywhere. I've seen pictures that you've shared online of like big, heavy clips holding blankets into the ceiling and creating this like audio tent that you all then sit inside with all of your mics. And uh, that that also must get really warm in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then I think we we uh, someone <laughs> was working at a talent agency, and they had one of those little boots, like it was tiny in the agency in the basement for doing. I think it was designed for like actors to do a quick, you know, create their own audio reel, and uh, and so then we shoved five people into that. <laughs> it was also hot, um, and we finally got to a studio, you know, in the last couple of years. But I think Albus Alex just started as a fantasy comedy. There weren't a lot of those. There still aren't, sadly, but. But we never expected it to become anything. We finished Albus Halex season one and went on with our lives. Like this was 2014. There was, there was no money to be found. Sort of like today, Justin. Right? Yeah. You you were just making a show that you wanted yeah. to listen to. It wasn't something that was being served up no. by anyone else. So you yeah. went and created it. And and then and then the numbers started to climb and climb and climb. And and one day they just went through the roof because I think we made a, someone put an article together somewhere, one of the papers, big papers. And so we sort of are like, oh, we were like, we need to, we need to put out a second season because it had been years, like I think three years. We just hadn't done anything with it. You know, putting together a second season for a full cast, like this is like a cast of 10 um, that needs to be done in person, which is really daunting. So instead we created a new show called The Axe and Crown that goes on the same feed because that was insane. But anyways, we did that as like a in between <laughs> season one, season two. And then um, I have, I come, I, I have always played, you know, RPGs. Um, but I think when I, you know, growing up, like all the way through college, after college, military, being a professional juggler, that was quite a trip. I was always playing and GMing. And then, you know, I decided one day I had to become an adult and I stopped playing. And so over the past, you know, few years of working on Alba, I sort of hit this point where I want to start playing again. And then I decided, well, what if we create a live play? Because um, I got very addicted to Adventure Zone and a bunch of other shows. And I made the brilliant choice not to set it in an existing world of our main show, Alba Salix. And I thought that'll be so cool and it'll just be an extension of the Alba world for our fans, but completely not thinking about, you know, what happens when we create calamities in that world that end time or destroy the entire world. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess now you're dealing with a multiverse. (laughs) <laughs> we haven't gone there yet but we're close we're closer like like are we you know if i destroy the world in the end of time and other bothers do we have to stop making alba yeah or, or does alba salix now take place in the five minutes before the end of time forever <laughs> in like <laughs> forever looping. it's like it becomes comic book theory very fast well it's well it's kind of uh, uh with uh, fast and the furious when they killed off han in the third movie and they really liked that character so the next three movies are all prequels to tokyo drift right (laughs) and uh, which is one of my favorite like what do we do now about our timeline and they just didn't care yeah it it is whatever you want it to be if doctor who can write themselves out of corners so can you thank you one of my favorite comics (laughs) yeah so so i made the brilliant choice to keep it in universe and then i made the brilliant choice of not doing D &D. and I'm glad I did, but all those years I had never really played much beside D&D. I'd done I dabbled in uh, Champions for a little while and a couple other systems, but 
but I'd say 90% of my time was all D&D. Yeah, I, I, and and I, I, you and I aren't that far different in age and growing up playing in high school and, and early college, like it was a lot of Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and ultimately 3.5 edition Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. And then um, and then we would play other games like Mutants and Masterminds mm-hmm. or uh, Age of Conan or, uh, or, or other or other settings. But really looking back now at them, they were all very much in the same mindset of, of, of Dungeons and Dragons rules. Yeah. Like it was, it was very familiar with the way the stats and the character sheets and the, and, and the dice rolling played out that they were all kind of in that same genre of really rules involved yeah. uh, with uh, simulating. It, they, they were more combat games played kind of like a board game with a few extra improvised rules around it, but not really serving a story so much as overcoming uh, the the challenge that the GM has created for you. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I had um, also returned to my roots with comedy improvisation. So I started coming back to that in a much more serious way. And so the idea of a, of a format that was more story driven uh, was just, super attractive well that's that's the biggest challenge recording an actual play is you want to when you look back on your dungeons and dragons game you remember the stories but you don't remember the three hours of of the three hours of rule play (laughs) uh, flipping through pages to like how does grappling work Mm -hmm. and and spending time negotiating with the with the dungeon master about what you're going to buy at the store (laughs) and what feats you want to choose like those might be actually entertaining when you're playing with your friends because you're just it's it's like poker. But then you're actually recording it and having someone else listen is boring as hell. And 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 trying to capture the exciting moments while excising the the the, the weeds of it all uh, that can really um, uh, slow the pacing down. It becomes a really unique kind of challenge. Yeah, so I was really excited about um, a Powered by the Apocalypse game, but I was also really intimidated because I'd never really game mastered them before. And rather than just do a bunch of trials like an idiot, I just dove in and wanted to do it all in episode one recording. Hell yeah. So, and I was also had an interesting challenge for Powered by the Apocalypse. I wanted a fantasy framework, and there's really not that many. No, Powered by Apocalypse games, by and large, follow a lot of film genre archetypes. So you have your Mad Max, uh, you have your superheroes, you have urban gothic. They they really try to scratch all the other itches. Urban fantasy, That the traditional swords and... But fantasy, Yeah, yeah, and the old, like... Because it's the idea, I, I, I think it's... Dungeons and Dragons has just sucked up all the oxygen yep. in the room when it comes to swords and sorcery. And it's just another D&D clone or Lord of the Rings clone that Powered by Apocalypse kind of being that renegade way of, you know, it's very guerrilla warfare or guerrilla filmmaking in the way they've put these games together. Yep. Um, a lot of them even look like they're zines <laughs> that have just been made in someone's basement. And, and so because of that, they tend to focus on more of those like punk tropes uh and so you get stuff that fits like future or sci-fi nihilism noir mysteries melodrama soap opera uh narco fiction Uh, and yeah when i think back of like the power by apocalypse games that are fantasy based the one we did root is like one of three that is coming to mind. Yeah, but but then you're playing small animals and i was like because i thought of root and i'm like so i don't want to play small animals 
Uh, and then I'm down to, and of course I chose, I think because it was so familiar, I was like, this is it. And of course I chose Dungeon World because it's basically D&D mashed, shoved, crammed into Powered by the Apocalypse yeah. with a 7,000 Dragons page. Powered by Apocalypse Yeah, hack. and it's a 7,000 page manual. Yeah. Like, it's insane. It is the, <laughs> the crunchiest. They took a system that was designed to not have any crunch yeah. and then they just added granola mm-hmm. into it and a lot it of is granola. somehow the crunchiest power by apocalypse game out there and part of it is a lot of power by apocalypse games don't bother to define things they just leave it intentionally gray to be defined in the yes. game like if you play monster hearts which is a a game about melodramatic teenage monsters going to high school together they don't tell you what the rules of the vampires nope. are they just tell you you're a vampire. And what does that mean? Yep. Like, can you walk in the sunlight? Can you enter houses without being invited in? Does a steak kill you? Are you allergic to garlic or crucifixes? They don't tell you any of that. That's just you and your friends can work that out. You're just a vampire. And whatever that means to you is is real in your in dungeon world. They will define exactly what that goblin is. And it explains is. why it was so familiar yeah. to me, right? Because it was basically like reading a D&D manual. Yeah, it had a monster manual feel yeah. to it. Right? And so I was like, this is it. This will be easy. And so it was probably one of the more challenging Powered by the Apocalypse systems to to get up and running just because you have so much you have to understand. Uh, but yeah, so that's my choice. Now, I think I have a problem, though. Justin, maybe you can help me because I I would love to. Let's workshop it with my other show, Civilized. We're starting an RPG with our with our characters for our patrons, and I picked Fellowship. I really have a problem. Why do I keep choosing the most redonkulous Powered by the Apocalypse games? <laughs> okay, so here's 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 where I'm at. Uh, uh, you don't know this, but I was thinking of starting a, a third series on this podcast called Q and A questing and answers uh an axe to grind uh where where people can come to me with questions with my hundreds of years of combined knowledge of ter- of ter- tabletop terrible warrior games and, and, and i can help things so so tell me a bit now uh so civilized is another radio drama podcast yes. you've got and as far as i understand it's it's science fiction uh, it's kind of got like an event horizon ish feel yeah, to very it dark, dark um, comedy let me know. T- so tell me about Civilized. Introduce me to the Civilized podcast before I could f- answer any questions about how to adapt that into an actual play game. Okay. So yeah. So Civilized is a dark comedy. Uh, it is entirely comedy improvised. It won the Webby Honoree last year. Uh, it's mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's scripted. Um, but it's how how yeah how how improvised 1, is it? Is it truly like like whose lines is that anyway improvised or is it like curb your enthusiasm where you've roughly storyboarded what each episode is out to accomplish and then you improvise within that block? It is one thousand percent improvised. There's some story building it, work compl- we had to do. It's always off. It the It is literally yeah. we start we we're standing in a circle staring at each other. Do you have like a show bible of just like defining some of the. These are these are the rules of the universe. Well, I'll explain. But we had a little bit of okay, like we had to sort of just come to a common understanding of what is this world or whatever. Like what is the goals? What's the buy-in? Yeah. But basically we're all in a circle and we come up with a friend's title we call it. The one where and somebody says something. So the one where Bob bakes a cake and then we go. Someone has an idea and it often won't start with Bob baking a cake. Um, but it's entirely improvised. We're we're all long form improvisers. So it 
it has a structure. Mm-hmm. There's a beginning, a middle, and end. It escalates, but it's all done with hand waving. Like like someone will be having a scene, we'll hit a moment, and someone will start waving their hand in the air because they've got an idea, and we're cutting to another scene. And it's fully sound designed. That's after. cool. But we yeah. decided to just play an RPG as a bonus. But <laughs> here's here's problem number one with my brain. Uh, it wasn't just me. Christy, who plays Beatrix, wanted to do Name of the Wind. She says, I want to play an RPG that's like Name of the Wind. And I was like, okay, I'll go try and find a storytelling system. And that is going to work with comedy improvisers, right? Like, so story first. In Name of the Wind, I've, I've read a bit of that book. It deals a lot with flashbacks, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's like that idea. Of, like it's, it's, it's a story being yes. told after the fact, and then, but it's being told by an unreliable narrator what? that sometimes changes the yes. details. So we chose Fellowship, okay. and I played the first session, and I wanted to kill myself. It is the most convoluted, self-contradicting set of Power by the Apocalypse <laughs> rules Okay, forget about Power by Apocalypse. Have you ever heard of Blades in the Dark? I have heard of Blades in the Dark. I keep hearing it, but I didn't choose okay. it. So one of the, so Blades in the Dark has like three different versions of the same game. Another one's called uh, Scum and Villainy, which is like their Star Wars version of Blades in the Dark. And Blades mm-hmm. in the Dark is very like kind of a clockwork punk Victorian. If you think of like video games like Thief or uh, Darksiders, mm-hmm. it kind of fits into that. And then they have a, a fantasy version of it as well. Uh, the name of it is currently uh, escaping me. Uh, so they have like a fantasy one, this like gothic Victorian era one, and then and then they have their their Star Wars cantina <laughs> one. Basically, um, one of the key mechanics of Blades in the Dark, though is at any point in the game, uh, and I think it's just a certain number of times per session, a player can declare a flashback sequence to go back to a time they were training or the night before they were scouting out the building that they're currently going into or something like that to then retcon a key detail into the scene of why they're able to do what they're doing. So you, you, you get into the building, you're running down the hallway, you're being chased by guards and you get to a dead end. And you're like, ah, oh, crap, what do we do? Well, the night before... You were already here and you scattered out and you set charges on the other side of the wall. And it comes back to the present day, you pull the trigger and the wall blows out. And it makes it so that your character is kind of Mission Impossible-like, is is always prepared with some deus ex machina that they can pull out. But there's rules around preventing you from totally abusing that power or you're in a fight against someone who's like really overpowered. But it goes back in time to you being trained as a teenager by your mentor and he teaches you this key technique. He comes back to the present day and you're able to use it to then disable the the, the big bad that you're up against. Nice. And and it has like a like a karate kid sweep the leg moment. I'm going to check that <laughs> and, out. I'm going to check that. Right. And, and it's full of those really like goosebumpy moments where it's like it just works. But I will of course the way well you'll if you ever hear my stuff i will throw away all the limit-based rules like i've got you know end of time another bothers takes place in the world of alba and the main character has a bazooka as his weapon right because, yeah of course yeah because of course there was a a game i just ran yesterday uh for for a group that picked me up called the sprawl it's cyberpunk so it's not the same genre setting but they do a really interesting uh rule of um uh, when you're doing the legwork on the mission you're about to do, it's, the game's all about doing a heist against like corporations mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's like Ocean's Eleven meets Cyberpunk. And you you gain 
uh, equipment and Intel, but it's just called equipment and Intel. You don't define what kind of equipment or what kind of Intel it is until the mission begins and you're in the hallway or you're you're going through and you go like, ah, we get to a keypad and I don't know what the password is. Well, I happen to have a, a certain amount of Intel, like currency, that I can cash in to then be, well, last night when I hacked the system mainframe and I got Intel, that Intel was the keypad code right here for this door. And you can get through there. And and it, it, using a lot of that like nonlinear storytelling to then allow your characters to be way more prepared and professional than you, the player, will ever hope to be can be really, can, really fun. And, and in a way that also doesn't um, uh, feel like, I don't know if you ever played like a D&D game where someone just is using a lot of supplemental books. <laughs> they've oh, got yeah. all these extra rules and they've got a spell that no one else has ever heard of and they pull it out and the GM has never heard of it. But like, well, it's in page 57 of the third edition of the Marshall hand fighting book that was available for three months last year. And they brought it with them and, and they want to use that rule. And it can really feel exploitive. I find those games that allow for that kind of storytelling retconning. I've always wanted to install, you know, you go by one of the houses or the big buildings that's being worked on. They have those big chutes that go down into a garbage thing. I've always wanted yeah. to install one of those with an eject seat at my table for anyone like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just hit a button and it just dumps them out. They go. <laughs> Spits them into the skip and they send them out to the road. So, yeah. So for Civilized, what was your issue with the the game that you did pick? I just, um, I uh, always pick insane systems, it seems. Like, you know, Dungeon they're just World. very hard to learn. Yeah, very convoluted. Like, at least Dungeon World is not, It's there's not a lot of places where it's not clear. It's insanely clear. There's just a lot of digging, right, for yeah, what applies. Yeah, because a Powered by Apocalypse should be simple. It's, yeah. You roll two D6s. Uh, if it's under six, you fail. Seven to nine, you get it with consequence. Yeah. 10 plus you get it without consequence yep. keep going yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know that's fellowship at is, a core what it is fellowship is insane it's very bizarre it's a very interesting system it's got a lot of fun things but whoa is it uh it's it's uh yeah it's a weird mashup of things um i'm interested it's interesting to see how it comes out using comedy yeah. improvisers who i mean the nice thing is like what i i guess i'm now sort of I'm sort of addicted to it, but it, I I rely on it. It's a crutch now, right? I know yeah. that my table, we can go an entire session of End of Time and Other Bothers without ever rolling a die, right? Everybody just- Of course. Keeps, Everything's shorthand now. Yeah, and everybody just keeps upping, right? Everything's an offer. Yeah. They run. Everyone runs with it, right? And One thing you might- Now, uh, when in these games, I'm assuming the nature of the game, death isn't really- um, on the table is it like that's not one of the that's not the stake at play is is characters um dealing with losing their hit points and actually dying are they yeah we have had a death um yeah yeah okay we have had a death. one 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 setting you could look into is fate core yeah. uh we played it a few times and fate core doesn't have like a setting to it it's it's very much just like a rule framework but it's full of like blank spaces for you to write in um your own thing it's it, i find it's not great for players that don't feel like they're strong improvisers or strong right. storytellers because they're left kind of hanging without a lifeline where powered by apocalypse games they at least give you a lot of multiple choice or circle these or choose these right. uh fate is just like give me uh, a value that's important to you and you're like sorry what yeah a value <laughs> and this value is going to have a mechanic that's going to be critical to the game um 
that can really shine with a, a group of strong improvisers or strong storytellers. But if you've got one person at the table who doesn't feel like they're as strong as the others, they can really feel outclassed very quickly. Um, and one thing we found in our fate, fate games that we played is was if, if, it was, if you're playing a kind of an antagonistic role with the GM and the players where they're trying to overcome a challenge, like you might see in a traditional D&D game where I'm out to get you and I'm trying to stop you from overcoming this, this particular monster or traps or all these like mazes I've got. Um, uh, fate doesn't really allow for that antagonistic play if the players don't want it to happen it's not really going to happen it's, it's much more built around story through consent and so the um so the gm is advocating for the game and, and helping to move the story forward but isn't really doing it in a place of opposition to the players choices if that makes sense mm-hmm uh, so uh, the game we were playing, we were trying to do a slasher fic. We were doing like a Friday the 13th mashup with other horror movies. And so he was trying to hunt us down with with Jason. But when it actually came to the combat, we could do a lot of things to um, maneuver away from it. We we have all these tricks up our sleeves. And it was it was impossible if we, if we if we really didn't want Jason to kill us, it, he wasn't going to. And so it didn't work for that setting at all because a, a slasher genre really needs to have that kind of shocking moment where players die and, uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and fate, that was one of the limits, one of the interesting limits I found with fate didn't really allow for that. Um, but, but it also allowed for some really cool characters and stories to come out of that. And it allows for a lot of um, collaborative world building from the player side of the table, like you would in a Power by Apocalypse game as well, where they are participating in building a lot of the details that surround the game you're playing. Uh, and so that allows the GM to just sort of sit back and um, be an advocate or a referee without having to be the sole storyteller at the table that you might get if you're doing um, Pathfinder, where the players are joining your world and they are exploring a world that you have built for them. And their interaction and world building kind of begins and ends with their character's direct actions. Whereas uh, in a game like Fate or Powered by Apocalypse, they, they're creating NPCs. They're creating organizations. They're filling in histories. Something like my Monster Hearts example. They're defining the rules of how vampires work. Uh, and, 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 and are participating in building the world with the GM which is something you don't get in in uh, so-called traditional RPGs as often. Yeah. And I think it comes down to style too, right? Like yeah. um, when we set about creating Anytime and Other Bothers, I wanted to create something that had, um, the co- I guess, the comfort of some of the rails around the table because um, we have one we have one comedy improviser who's really got a lot of experience uh, than probably me in experience. And then we have two people with much less if and one who had none previous real comedy improv experience. So the having the railings was really fun, but it's been really interesting watching the table mature because I wanted to create a story that was more for the performance aspect. Like sure. when you listen, you're not going to learn like – I love the crit show so much and it's how I learned how to play monster of the week or GM it, but you're not going to learn how to play, uh, you know, dungeon world from the end of time and other bothers. It was designed to be, uh, there's not even, you know, like in some of the games, like, 
in fate or whatever, where, you know, the people can start telling you what the history is or, you know, spout the lore or whatever. Um, those mechanisms exist even in Dungeon World. We don't really use those. Like the whole thing is what if we could tell a story at a table where everyone can do that, but do it in character? And it's been- so do you end up editing out any mention of rules and just stick to really just in-character storytelling? It was a real interesting challenge at the beginning because I don't think we had a clear, like looking back now, I'm like, that's what I wanted to do. But I don't think I had like a clear map or plan to get there yeah. or at the time. So so no, we don't. You'll hear a table talk um, from time. To, we do edit out some. We do edit out some of the table talk. But as the as it progresses... So initially, it was very standard because I came from D&D, right? I was playing all yeah. the NPCs with my horrible Table voices. talk is half the game. Right. And now, when you listen to a current episode, uh, everyone at the table is playing the NPCs. And they're introducing them and making them up on the spot. So so it's a really interesting... I, but from a performative aspect, it's super fun to play with that. Oh, so your game has kind of almost become somewhat GM-less. Yeah. Where everyone is taking yeah. the role of that. Yeah. So I'll still do certain things like uh, set up the scenes or do the cuts, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and I'll do the planning for the world. And by planning, it's a few bullet points with this table now. But because I never know where they're going to take it, right? Yeah. As a group. And I guess I'm involved too. But, but yeah. So, and we don't tend to do a lot of battles. But if we do do battles, then I would play that role, right? Of referee. Uh, yeah. for that dice rolling. But yeah, no, it's really transformed into um, a performance of this world and these hapless little characters who are totally, I mean, the basic, it's a classic comedy setup, right? There's a filing clerk, a PR professional, and a cafeteria worker who now have to try and save the world and stop the end of time. And it's just really fun watching them uh, one of them's a, a, a fairy and one of them's a half demon. The other one's a human. And it's just really fun watching them tell that story, right? Through characters, through um, through playing NPCs, through through offers, right? In dialogue, um, which mm-hmm. I, d- I do think makes a more interesting listen if you want that, right? Yeah, but this is not a, a show that is setting out to... Uh, teach you how to play the game. Oh, 100% not, because I didn't know how to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing with actual play podcasts that I, I wanted to ask is there's no real playbook on how an AP show is made. Um, no. For many of us, when we started our shows, uh, like when Terrible Warriors started, AP wasn't a thing that had been coined as a term. Right. Uh, and so no, everyone's kind of approaching this from different directions. It's the same island, but we're all coming in from different directions. And some, um, like Crit Show, uh, might be making a game that is trying to empower you, or making a show, rather, is trying to empower you to feel, oh, I could run this game. I could go play it myself. And then they'll go off and buy the game and then play it. Other shows are, we have a story we really want to tell, and we're going to use this mechanic to tell our story, but the game be damned. It's not really about marketing or a tutorial so much as continuing to just tell our story in a unique or different way. Um, and, and I, I know other, other shows I've listened to that are like any award-winning actual play podcasts where they have removed all mention of the game and it just plays like a radio drama and you just find out about it being a game because it's set in that game world and they have notes in the show notes about 
how the actual gameplay might have been involved. Um, but it's more like it plays like the example of play in the rule book itself, where it's all in, it's all, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they don't, you don't hear any dice rolling. You don't hear any stats being mentioned. Uh, everything is done in character. Uh, and it's just, except that there's just a narrator talking to the characters rather than it being like a, like that true radio drama of it. Um, just sounding like a television for your ears. Yeah. So we're a hybrid. I mean, we have some sound design and music because of Eli, Eli Hamada McElveen, my partner who is an award-winning sound designer in the audio fiction space. But but it's it's still got the feel of four friends coming around a table, which I like, right? Because it's one of the fun things for me when I listen to a live play is I'm I get to I get to be at a table that's super fun when I listen. Get to hang out with them for a while. Yeah. So we still have that. There's a little bit of table talk. There's really funny moments. Uh, there's a little bit of die rolling, but the die rolling you hear is basically the die rolling that happens. So we might go two episodes without rolling a die because it's all just flowing off story. But then someone will try to. Well, we have a fairy that makes, <laughs> he makes uh, fairy cakes that have awful effects, um, which was a fun move to create. So it's a Powered by the Apocalypse move that we created. So there'll be moments where we'll roll. Um, so it's interesting hybrid. And it's really evolved to from the beginning to where it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the stepping stone for me to creating Civilized because it let me see how much structure of a story we can create. Um, just through improvisation um, and authors. Oh, that's interesting. So do you think Civilized, which is an improvised radio drama, would have existed had you not done an actual play based on your radio scripted show? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I definitely know that. That's a really interesting progression. Yeah, the confidence I got from having that railing on, it it feels a little like taking the the third wheel off the bike, right? Like the the, the training wheels um, off the bike. Um, so yeah, it was definitely always my intent. Like I'm a, when I GM, I'm very much a no rule. Like I'm a minimal rules GM, right? Like yeah. I may, let's keep it fun. Let's keep it moving. And I'm an escalation GM. I just want to have a lot of things ready that are going to be constantly changing based on what's happening at the table to escalate. Um, so I think, I think shifting out of that to not having a person in that role was the question, right? How do you do that? How do you still have that escalation of story happening? Like, you know, increased mm-hmm. pressure without someone sitting in that role. And so I think with end of time and other bothers, you hear the table do it to themselves. Like, yeah. Oh, I was going to say it going in with like, we've got a group of players that all are now uh, unofficially sharing the role of GM. And on Terrible Wars, we've played two games, and I have played three that are GM-less, uh, like in their in their mechanics. And each of them might not be the one that might work for you, but all three of them, I think you could play in your own time and take something from it about how games without a GM work because they all have a different approach to it uh in norlandia which is a a crime noir murder mystery game you play with a cork board and actually red string and connecting uh evidence that players suggest and a deck of cards that are used to generate your four districts in your city uh your five characters and 
each player then picks four of them and then the fifth one that's not chosen is your murder victim and all f- the four other characters are all invested in trying to solve this murder either because they everyone thinks they did it or they are the ex-lover or they're the chief investigator working for the police or any other number of like hard-boiled tropes um and then you go scene by scene by scene around the table and when it's your spotlight every other player at the table now takes on the role of the setting the npcs and whatever and you and you and you freeform role play until the end of the scene where the table then decides did that go well for you or bad for you and you're assigned either good dice or bad dice negative or positive dice that count at the very end of the game that is then rolled in to find outcomes kind of like fiasco yeah i was going to say it sounds a lot like fiasco yeah um and and then meanwhile you also are uh, declaring evidence that can be put up onto the board. And if there's uh, more than two pieces of evidence, you can instead declare a connection. And once you find three connections between the, the established evidence, you can create a solution because the goal of the game is to find who, what, where, why with the murder. And once you've answered all of those questions, the game ends. You've now solved the murder. But as you fail and and fail in dice rolls, evidence can be destroyed and sections of the city can fall into chaos and you can no longer investigate into it. And if three of the four sections fall into chaos, the investigation comes to an end and you never solve the murder. And the game also resolves itself that way. So there's like a couple of different ways the game can end. And I really liked that because it also gave everyone an opportunity to kind of be the player, but also get into the GM seat and work together and really lift each other up one at a time. And once it's gone around the table once, everyone kind of gets a feel for it. Uh, Our Last Best Hope is a a game about uh, the end of the world, and you are the last best hope to save humanity. So think of movies like Deep Impact or Armageddon or The Core or Sunshine, and they are on a plan to save all of humanity. And there is no plan B. If they fail, everyone fails. Everyone dies. Uh, and the game uh, is played. Um, there's a, there's some setup with the characters and writing secrets and fears and what you're taking with you and what you're leaving behind. And they all sit on the table face down and they're used as story cards to prompt scenes against other players as you collect tokens and dice that, again, like Fiasco, are then rolled at the end to, to um, generate the final confrontation with the crisis you're up against what is bringing an end to humanity uh is different every time you play the players decide that and 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 how they're doing it but the structure of the game goes with uh, a threat that is played uh, and you resolve that threat through either dice rolls or by a character sacrificing their life and they're all given a death card at the beginning of the game that tells you how you're going to die and it can be a way of like you die following orders or you die disobeying an order or you die um uh saving someone else's life uh and and they're very general uh, like they're open-ended enough that you can if you play that card and you die the way you have been fated to die a whole bunch of extra dice get added in through your sacrifice and if you try to change fate and die a different way uh different dice are used and the um the idea is that by the end of the game only one person has survived and they are now using the sacrifices of all the other players to then collectively f- face this final crisis. 
even after you die, you still keep playing. When it's your turn at the table, you just do a flashback sequence to back to the training before the mission began or to years earlier or another scene with another player of how you first met. And then it brings you back to the present day when a new threat card is, is, is presented. So it goes threat, social, threat, social. It has this nice up and down feel uh, through, through the, uh, so it's not always anxiety and it's not always just quiet, uh, role-playing there's there's the there's stakes that get thrown into it and then the third one a gmless game uh, is called the fall of magic and it's played on a scroll that you roll out on the table and the scroll is full of prompts like your face in the river or um the changing of seasons and you put your token onto that prompt and you play a scene and the scene is brought to an end when you use that prompt so you're the the scene is on a bridge uh on the map and the prompt uh, that you've chosen is your face in the river so it might end with you looking down and seeing your reflection and uh and contemplating or it might end with you being thrown from the bridge and splashing into the river this is a game fall of magic where dice are almost never rolled uh for any situation there's no experience points uh in fact you don't even really know who your character is when you start the game you explore who they are through these prompts on the board and it reveals itself to you in real time as you play and i i one of my, it's a hauntingly beautiful game uh, and there might be might be something in civilization for that where you could take details from your own world and create that kind of map for maybe not for your podcast but for like patreon supporters or something to be able to play in your in your universe with these kinds of prompts that um all three of those games approach the idea of no GM very, very differently, um, but they all have such wonderful lessons in how story is structured and, and told uh, among uh, a group of people that are collaborating together. Because collaborative storytelling is very difficult because there's always one person who wants to have ownership and control over a certain aspect of that. And, and how do you share that in a way that's still equal and, and fair and that's i think something that troubles me sometimes with people that listen to live plays because we were talking about this force our recording but there's a performative nature to doing a recorded live play that's going up for release even if you're uh you know depending there's many styles as we're talking about let's say you're a gm that is very rule focused there's still a performative aspect and pressure around the table that that and editing and other things that are designed. Yeah, if you don't hand wave it in the actual play and keep the, you're going to edit it out right. afterwards because no one is going to listen to you flipping through pages for 45 minutes to figure out how oh God, grappling works. We, that happened to us when we played Star Trek Adventures. We got stuck in the weeds of the rules of how damaged the ship happened. And I had a choice of, well, we can spend another half an hour debating the rules or I can just say what happens and we can keep going forward because we're recording this and we're running out of time. Yep. And so and so that's a thing that worries me sometimes because I think people hear these performative things and think, oh, my table has to be like that. And it it can seem daunting or right. It can seem yeah. like, oh, we can't. Well, or, or, or it feels that, like you're not, not good enough. Exactly. I'm not good enough of a GM or a player to do that. So why am I not as snappy as critical role? Because they, it seems so <laughs> easy when I listen right. to them do it. And yet it, 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 it is. It's a little like pro wrestling. There's there's a there's there's a, a kayfabe around it. There's a there's there's this lie in that it's not what you're hearing is an edited or either edited in the moment 
live by the GM who's just hand waving and fudging rules and keeping things moving forward or afterwards by an actual editor who is editing out all those conversations to keep pacing up and take away the silence when players don't know what to do. Like a lot of times when you're playing a tabletop game with your friends and you ask, well, what do you do next? There might be a couple minutes where they go, I don't know. And they're debating and they're weighing their options. And in a podcast, you go straight to them with a snappy, witty response. Yeah. And then no one is that snappy every (laughs) time. But in a podcast, they always are. And you also have to remember that some people are spent years training as comedy improvisers, for example, to be able to um, listen and respond to offers. And they're able to trust and have a rapport at the table that allows things to just seem so snappy and smooth. There's, but a, it's actually- there's a trust and, and, and a bit of bravery in being able to leap off a cliff without exactly knowing what you're going to land onto yet. And it's performative. It is They are performing and we're performing at the table. Like if I'm going to play a D&D for fun with friends, it's going to go three hours or four hours while there won't be any rule looking up or I shoot them. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> it, it's a very different feel. When we record... You know, end of time another bothers. We basically sit down for forty minutes, and that's like the episode ends up being thirty six minutes. Not a lot gets cut out, but we are done. Like we have just been on a stage for almost an hour, yeah. and we are burnt out. Like there is yeah. nothing You're left to on. give. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 when you're playing, if you meet for four hours with your friends to play D anD D, you know you've got chips, you got drinks. Yep. You're you're taking breaks. It's casual. It's fun. It's fun. You're doing turns. You're waiting for your turn to come around. When yep. you're doing, even if you're doing the exact same game, but you got a microphone in front of you and you've got a clock running and the computer is recording your every sound, um, you're you're hyper focused on that all the time, yeah. and you're there's there isn't a lot of banter because uh, you don't want to waste anyone else's time. You want to give them that professional courtesy and. Uh, and yeah, and, and and that same four hours is taking eight times the amount of effort and energy to produce than the exact same four hours where you're just casually playing with your friends. Yeah. So I always just like to urge people to don't try and hold your game accountable. Like, yeah. enjoy the shows you like to enjoy. and Be kind and to I, yourself. Yeah. And I noticed early on, like the... I remember when I was listening to The Adventure Zone, and I enjoyed it, but I remember getting really focused on... There were certain things happening and it literally took me back in time because I was like, they're comedy improvising because I had done some comedy improvising training and way back. Like, I was really into it. And then, of course, I decided to become a marketer and destroy the world. But it was like interesting when I twigged in and I was like, they're improvising, like not improvising in the sense we sometimes use of just sitting around, and jump, but they're like actually using capital I improvise. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like. Oh, I could tell who at the table, as soon as I twigged on, has the experience as a comedy improviser. And then I started paying attention to the, I got really into live plays. And because of my interest, I started listening to ones where they had comedy improvisers at the table. And I just loved it, you know, Um, even outside of live play, like improvised Star Trek and blah, blah, blah. And that's what led to End of Time and Other Bothers. But it, it, I still gather, like I've sat, with you, Justin, around the table, I still sit and play a game and it's fun. Um, yeah. It's, it's just different. Um, and, but I, there's a part of me that just loves 
has really enjoyed being at a table where we're taking the rails off piece by piece as the season goes on. That's, you, that's you're, you're deconstructing the game as well as the story and yeah. and then putting it back together like an engineer. Like There's a math to comedy. Yep. And there's... Threes. It's all about threes. <laughs> right? But like, well, and, and, I, and I've had friends where I've gone to like the comedy bar here in Toronto who themselves are stand-up comics and they go like, I see a comic on stage and I just see math. And I'm just seeing how it's structured and the formula and how it's been planned out and blocked and done through. And it's, and I imagine similar things go through when magicians see acts being performed and when improvisers listen like you to, to these other podcasts. Uh, and, uh, and yet, you know, Terrible Warriors, we've had improvisers on our show. And my improvising experience began and ended in high school. <laughs> there, it, every, it, this is still, the, for, for me, it's, this is still such an accessible hobby Yep. to to join in and play and you don't have to no. be as i don't want to say clever but you as witty or as sarcastic or as uh biting as the person next to you and and uh, there are some games that are out there like these powered by apocalypse games we've been mentioning that offer a lot of prompts yep. to get you there to they offer do. those those answers so that fun. you know some players aren't improvisers they're fan fiction writers and yep. they're going to show up to your game with a 900 page backstory <laughs> on their character's history and you're going to have a, a a note that just says family missing question mark and that's your right. whole backstory <laughs> and that those are both fine Yep, and are. those are both going to get you. You're, we're all going to the same island. We're just taking different vehicles. Yeah. To and get we just there. have to remember: don't hold our the games you're playing or the game you want to run to that same weird, like perceived standard of what you're hearing or you've heard or enjoy. Like, just get together, have fun. Um, the the rules are there so that everyone at the table can have a good time, right? Can sort of have things to do or um, what's next. Right? That, that said, there are a lot of people now that are coming to playing their very first tabletop game having listened to a podcast and yep. rather than the other way around, where when these podcasts started, it would have been the tabletop players finding the podcasts. Um, now, would you would you say it might be a good idea if you happen to be in a city where there would be improv classes available or something online or, or or lessons? If like I'm feeling really frustrated because I love listening to this show, but when I play, I just don't feel like I'm bringing that right. experience that I'm trying to chase and recreate with my friends. Would taking an improv class be worth my time? to try and get myself closer to that quality of play that I, as a fan of these podcasts, want to achieve. Yeah. So I think if, you, if you're sitting there and you're like, you enjoy playing or you, you want to play RPGs, but you really, really love those moments that almost seem scripted and they're so funny and the callbacks and the building and you're like, what is that? And 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 you i would say first thing is to just play the rpg and have fun and if you're really enjoying the rpg and you still want to chase that um yes i would say totally take some comedy and prof classes they all have intro level 1 they're not that expensive and they are a really fun way if you at all have ever wanted to be on stage or wanted to you know be able to to put a sketch together. Like if you like SNL, if you like the, if you just find any of that interesting or fascinating, you can explore it very safely, right? In a little room in 
in the back of a strange club somewhere that that's not even live. There's no audience except the five people or 10 people in the class. Um, it's, 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 it can be really fun and fascinating. Um, I had always thought, like I was always as a kid trying to decide, am I going to be an actor or am I going to go for computers? And I was so drawn to these two worlds, but, but I was clearly drawn to um, performance because I ended up becoming a professional juggler, right? Out of college and just comedy, but I didn't have any training. So that's where I was like, I want to learn. I want to know more about how some people can be so funny and work a crowd and other people are just repeating lines and they're not landing. So that's what sort of brought me into that like exploration. Um, but it's only recently I've come back to it, like at Bad Dog in Toronto and here in Hamilton. And it's it's a true joy to um, work with an improviser and find a story together. It can be. Yeah. And it's always been interesting with this hobby with tabletop games is there's, there's, there's very, it's like two different worlds. There's the improvisers uh, telling the story in real time. And then there's the writers who are preparing things before their games and writing things between their games. I know in GMs where they, um, they really like this mechanic called love letters where uh, between sessions, the GM will write letters in world to their characters so that when you show up to your next session, it kind of works like a recap to remind you of what we did last time we played, but it's all in world. That is both fascinating and beautiful and something I'm never going to do uh, <laughs> because it's, it seems like so much work. Uh, and and again, players who have written really uh, incredibly in-depth backstories to their own characters, and I'm not going to do that. I want to find out who my character is while I am playing them, not in between. And there's no wrong way about it. You know, If you also are not feeling like you're a strong improviser at your table, then don't improvise. Just yep. play the game. Yep. Roll the dice, interact when, you know, the, the GM is doing their job. They're going to ask you, what do you want to do? And, you know, they'll, they'll set that up. They'll ask some leading questions. They'll keep you involved. And, and then between sessions, feel free to just write and write stories and write letters to the other characters and write things in world. Because I guarantee you, if your GM is an improviser and not a writer and you show up to a game with all of this background lore that you have written for them, they're going to eat it up. It's a great way to get into character. Immersion is really one of the funnest parts for playing an RPG. Um, you can play an RPG and not get immersed, but it's just rolling dice and right. It 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 can be it can yeah. feel distant sometimes, right? If you're new to the game. So And it can be tough. Yeah. Especially, I find, uh, uh, I haven't listened to a lot of Critical Role, full disclosure, but I've heard like uh, comments on a lot of times the only interaction that the players have in being able to describe the world around them is when they successfully land at an attack. Right. And you get to describe how your attack kills the monster you're fighting. Yep. And there's a, I, I remember in high school and I remember playing D&D in college and that was really, as a player, the only time I ever got to interact with the world. The rest was right. me sitting and listening to the GM describe the rooms that we were in and yep. maybe you get to talk to the tavern keep if you if the party will let you talk <laughs> and uh, but there was usually like one person at the table who was like the designated spokesperson for the team and so if your character was uh, uh, a, a an unruly demon hunting cleric that no one enjoyed because you were so old testament old time your only interaction with the world that was my character was um was when you're attacking monsters yep. and th that can be really um boring 
Yep. <laughs> if, if that's if that's your only time to tell your story, is if, when you land an attack. Yeah, and I think looking at these new games that have story format, like there are nice yeah. ways to edge in, like um, you know the idea that you more and more in these systems you turn to the player and say you know you almost ask the player like what's what's the lore what's the thing behind this why does this exist in the world you walk you walk into your room what does it look like describe it to me right or you find a book that catches your eye what book was that again right and and they get to tell you what's interesting to you and then you know especially in some of the horror games i've played they might tell you something like that terrifies them. And then you get to then make it worse. You get to tell them why not only should you be afraid of this, but it's worse than you think. The game I played yesterday, it was a cyberpunk heist game. And uh, I didn't care about certain details of where they were going to save a brother that was under trouble. So I had them be like, you know, they, they had a plan and they rolled where the plan was compromised at a key moment. So I was like, what is one of the things about this plan do you feel is the weakest point? And I was going to let them tell me what their fear is on this plan. Like, what do they think is the one part that's going to fail? And then I was going to tell them that not only did it not fail, but it was so much worse than they feared. Right. And, 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 and it allowed them to be invested now in the stakes. They're complicit. They're culpable. <laughs> they're responsible for yeah. the tragedy that's happening rather than just being a victim of circumstances. And then... If you start playing with improvisers, people with improvised training, even if you don't take it, it does start to rub off because what can start to happen is these systems are more and more as your GM gets more comfortable doing it or you as a GM doing it, everything Justin's talking about. But now you get the point where players can be listening, right? Like if you're opening up your world where players can say, what does this look like? Where did this come from? Where's the weakness? Other players start to realize they can support story that's happening with another player. And it becomes a really powerful table immersive moment when the players are listening. You know, there's a I come from D&D where when it's not your turn and you're like, oh, it's got to go all the way around the table and there's a magic user and they don't know what spell they're going to choose. Yeah. Right, it's another twenty minutes. You're gonna minutes. go get. You're gonna go get some drink from the kitchen. You're gonna right. go to the washroom. You're gonna go check your phone. Check your phone. Uh, like, you're not there. You'll, yeah, yeah. But where now you start to get to a table of the whole idea of improvisation is just listening, right? Like you're starting to listen, and you can have. You'll see that each player that goes next in turn is sort of will build off of or find a way to what we call it is justify the lore that was just introduced, and if you don't do it right away. Here's a trick. And you wait till later in the same session when something bad appears, right? And it's the monster. And then you call back to something that one of the other people introduced as a new rule in the world or a new thing. That's called a callback. And it's always funny. Yeah. And then it feels like uh, a twist Real. and lost. Yeah. It feels like it was something that was so premeditated. Yeah. And, and it, but it wasn't. wasn't even you, the GM. Like they're repeating something a character gave, right? And now it's we, another we character. Had, I, I, okay, so another one I, I cannot recommend enough. If, if this is the kind of thing, if you're listening to this conversation, you're like, what is another game that might help me with this? I am not joking. This is, I am not being facetious. Look it up. We played it a couple times on the podcast already. Worldwide Wrestling, the role-playing game. And <laughs> it is the greatest game for teaching you the structure of a story that I have ever played. Partly because professional wrestling is the telling of a story dissected and exposed. And it is so naked 
in how it tells a story and it's so unapologetic and the mechanics of the game teach you how to like build heat with the player to then create momentum to generate audience and all those grease the wheels to keep the move uh, the game going forward but it's so rewarding when in the game we played uh years ago uh what Sean just mentioned about a callback where we had a moment of a, of a promo that we cut at the very beginning of the game of, of, of something like I'm taking you out to the trash. And then at the very end of the game, we're fighting it out on the rooftop and he picks the guy up and he throws him off the top of the building into a dumpster. And it's that's the thing is about worldwide wrestling doesn't have to be clever. It doesn't have to be nuanced. That's kind of the point of the genre, but it t- still teaches you how to like, you know, I'm going to make a note of that and and we're going to come back to it and and it's it, it it teaches you also as a GM how to build tension between characters. A lot of powered by apocalypse games ask you to they call making triangles where you have like a player character, a player character and an NPC and you find out how they're all related to each other. So one's a lover and one's a, a hater and another is also a lover and you have like, you know, the love triangle idea, but it doesn't have to be romantic. It can be um uh, just the way they're they've worked in their histories to each other. And so the game, especially like Apocalypse World, where Powered by Apocalypse got its start, um, is constantly asking you to make triangles, make triangles. Every time a new NPC is made, connect it to at least two other characters in your narrative. And and you create this like interwoven tapestry. That can be really, really, really overwhelming for a GM who's never told a story or played a game like that. Yeah. Worldwide Wrestling, the RPG, it, it, does it almost automatically for you and and it teaches you without like teaching you like it's a lesson how to create those uh those interconnected relationships and to build tension until it hits a boiling point where it then has to be resolved and in wrestling it's then resolved in the ring and you build up heat you build up heat until you have to then book a match and then the match happens and the match is just this soap opera that gets played out in the in those four corners until it's then resolved and the heat ends up uh, it, it, it disappears, it's turned into audience and, uh, and you move on to, to the next arc. And it's all about building these rising arcs that hit these boiling points. And that's something now that I've carried over into games like Forbidden Lands or to Star Trek Adventures, where I'm not saying I'm building heat between players like I would when I was playing Worldwide Wrestling, but that's still happening in the back of my head. The formula yeah, is now there. I've learned it. I can't unlearn it. And I've learned this really powerful tool on how to build drama between characters. And even though we're not doing wrestling anymore, uh, it's just soap opera. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's a telenovela. That's, that's, that's it's a telenovela key. with stunts. That's and, the key to improv, right? Like when you're doing long form, long form improv, it's all about relationships. So it's like when I was talking earlier about escalation, we're taught in D&D that escalation is another monster right? Another challenge or another whatever. But as you do it more, I love this game you're talking about. Um, Like it's actually just about relationship. It's how do you put pressure on the relationships? Um, Because yeah, the game we played, they used to be tag team members and now they've recently split it up and now they're out to get each other. And one person has been tweeting out all of his (laughs) secrets online and he's now working for his enemy who's now become his mentor and, uh, and, and he's now his manager. It's like, how could you possibly be working for him after you knew what he did to me? And it's like, this is it. You're going down tonight. I'm taking you out to the trash. And And these two people who 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 crosses the line, like, right. They were brothers. They loved each other. And now, now they're out for blood and it's, 
going to be a no holds barred cage match tonight on pay-per-view right and, and that's but, something but, that's fun at the table i love it but like lord of the rings would not be interesting if it was just the endless battling of bigger monsters. No, which, Lord of the Rings is interesting because Boromir is being tempted by the yep. ring and he might kill Frodo and yep. steal it from the hobbits. Yep. And and he's in the party and he's looking a little sus right now. Yep. And uh, Lord of the Rings is interesting because Gimli and Legolas are having to... Uh, overcome prejudices to work side by side despite being grown up in societies that have been told to hate each other yep. uh, it has nothing to do with the orcs or sauron or anything like that it, it lord of the rings is interesting because aragorn doesn't want this responsibility onto him he just wants to be a ranger out in the forest looking out for the little guy he doesn't want to be king and yep. and it, that's what makes those stories buffy, interesting and buffy changed everything for me as a gm yeah i hate angel we hate him we hate him I sort of like, oh God, I love Angel. I love Angel. Oh God, yeah. I hate Angel. I hate Angel. Yeah. I hate Angel. Oh no, don't make me like him again. Um, like when I realized that you could build this really intense sphere and 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 shared experience like around yeah. a room of hatred for a character and then flip it. Yeah, and then you fall in love with them. That is one of the most hero. the yeah. funnest moments ever to bring a group through a story that that happens, and then, in a way that fits their motives, take them back to their. Now they know everything to twist yeah. the knife, right? Um, yeah. One of the things I really liked it was a mechanic we saw in Star Trek Adventures. Um, they they have what are called values. You write values for your characters, and it can be something like Starfleet never lies is a value, or uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the right tool for the right job. I'm just quoting Star Trek now, but they become these values that you write in. The only way your character levels up in this game is if you use your value in the game, uh, and it can be used to give you an automatic free roll, or you can challenge that value. If sometimes Starfleet does have to lie, and you cross it out, and you get a determination point that you can then you cash in later. Uh, so either challenging or using or having your value used by the GM to create a complication in the scene. Well, Starfleet never lies, so you better tell them the truth right now and fess up. Um, that uh, creates this like internalized conflict with the character. Uh, and despite the fact that we're out fighting Klingons and the Borg and facing off against the Romulans, Star Trek is a story about the crew and the characters and how they relate to each other as this family. And that's what you see reflected then in the, in the tabletop game, because of those values, you create these characters that are focusing on these things that are important to them. And in the game we had, we had characters where, you know, one was involved in a training accident that killed the captain's son. And now he's serving as his science officer on the ship. And can they keep being professional despite this tragic, history that they share and and that was really interesting and 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 there's ways to bring that into your D game uh even though D doesn't provide the mechanics by default to build that kind of storytelling it's so much more interesting when it's there is there yep. someone who who in, like uh, whenever i run a game now of D, &D uh, i haven't done it in a while but i was running them at a restaurant here in toronto uh, and someone was a bard one of my favorite questions okay you're a bard in the group so who in this group is the focus of your stories. Who's the hero of your songs? Because you're here chronicling their history. You're like an embedded journalist. Which one of them is your hero, and do they know it? And that immediately gets them thinking about a character trope, like the bard being this jokey class, that they don't, uh, I find a lot of players consider. 
And okay, you're the fighter in this group. Okay, well, the fighter is just out there rolling dice and fighting, but you see potential. Who here in this group do you think has the potential uh, to overcome you one day? And who are you like training like, 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 a, like a bonsai tree and just trying to prune and turn into this great warrior in the future? And um, that other player might not reciprocate that, but it builds this tissue between them that um, that they can then go off of. Oh, this person's in danger, but I feel like I have to protect them. Or, or, or the wizard who thinks this person's going down a dark path and I, it'll be my job to stop them if they go too far. Or the thief who's wondering, like, who here in the group's taken more than their share? Yep, 100%. I think yes, these are all things you learn as you go. I'm, I'm a big... Uh, rules out the window GM, game master yeah. or whatever. Um, and not everyone is, and that's okay. Um, but but I've always been the same as that, like what you're saying. When we play D&D, I want to push and find something new and fun. So like now that we have a Power by the Apocalypse game where we've taken the rails off and everyone around the table, like we just have this, you know, we've been playing a long time. we got this sort of comedy improvisation framework that was slowly taking over, though we still roll and stuff like that. And people have their sheets, but, but like now when I'm playing, if I were to play D and D now again, like just for fun, even the, the idea that anyone can introduce an NPC has created some of the most memorable and fan loved characters ever. Just the, 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 the simplest move, create a contact. Yeah. Declare a contact. But, but they don't even say the rule, right? We'll literally just like, you know, when there's like a, like it, we're in performance mode and you can tell that there's been a funny little interaction and then a low comes and we're all like, Oh, now what? And now one of them will just create a character. Um, we basically have Arnold Schwarzenegger as a portal salesman. Excellent. I'm get sued, but a really bad accent of Arnold Schwarzenegger. But what it's like some of those fan favorite moments. And my question that I guess not a question, but one of the things that's now interesting to me is if I were to play D and D or anything again, um, it's interesting thinking about what are the ways that you could oh, I could allow the table to feel like they could do that because just saying it is not enough, right? Like just saying anyone can play an NPC, that's a lot of pressure just when you're gathering for fun with friends. Um, and there's different, frame, obviously, game systems that might help, but it's one of my now favorite things is 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 giving that up because that's a – there's. If you started in old school D&D, there was this very power mechanic, right? Like you were explaining, right? The GM explains everything. Yeah, yeah. Your, your NPC <laughs> is like an exposition yes. machine. You can't <laughs> hand over that NPC to them because that NPC is the only thing that's going to tell you the key detail right. you need in order to overcome what I have planned yeah. for you. And a lot of things are D&D in its original right. form is a very scripted game. Um, maps are done all in advance, puzzles, mm -hmm. monsters, bosses. And if you decide to quit and head out into the woods, um, the game kind of comes to a screeching halt very quickly, uh, unless your GM is just going to roll with it and make things up on the fly. Uh, but the idea of a GM making the things up on the fly right. is the 100%. exception, not the rule in Dungeons and Dragons. We're like, oh yeah, I just made everything <laughs> up after that. No one believes you. Whereas like, that's Same. like my default but in a Powered by Apocalypse game. Uh, I don't like if I have something planned right. in advance, and, that is the and exception. And so it's interesting thinking about this, what we've stumbled in on with End of Time and Other Bothers and thinking about um, I'm just exploring it in the games I'm playing now. Like what are the the ways that I can make a table feel yeah. like they can? Because it's one thing for a table to feel like they can control the world and introduce things. 
And I think most tables will do that. Like they slowly realize, oh, we have, we can do this. Um, And it's just an, it's a really neat moment Mm -hmm. when the table will start to create a character. And then it's really awesome when another player as an offer brings that character back. That is some of my favorite moments in our show. Another character will be like clearly setting up for that other, you know what I mean? Like Marisa will set up for Carter to bring back one of his characters and it's really neat. And they'll have this whole interaction at the table that's like makes us cry. It's so funny. And it's just the two of them having fun in that moment playing. Um, anyways, it's just a really interesting idea as a GM to let go yeah. of that power and be like, what can happen when we're not the one that has to create and describe every NPC? Yeah. Yeah. Sean, we have talked so much about this and i've really enjoyed this conversation where it's gone and just talking about like game philosophy now which has been really uh, enlightening and interesting um but i did want to i'm gonna have to i guess have you back because i wanted to talk about the fable folly network and all the other podcasts you've partnered with and i'd love to hear more about i guess the for lack of a better term, the business of side of it all, uh, because you've you've been on a, a really interesting journey with that. And uh, my next interview that I'm at, I'm recording later this afternoon, probably come out in two weeks' time, is with Russ Moore from Dungeons and Dragons, and also uh, who co-hosts with you on yep. DM to GM, uh, and uh, that is I think really touches into a lot of what we've yeah. just been talking about today uh, uh, on that. So um, maybe I'll have you back uh, not too far from now to continue this conversation about um, kind of the wider scope of, of the things you've been involved in. Yeah, I'd love that. In that oversee capacity. Uh, but for now, uh, for Alba Salix, for uh, End of Time and Other Bothers, for Civilization, and for all the things that you are involved in, uh, where can people find you? Where can they follow up if they want to keep tracking what you're up to? The best place to go is fableandfolly.com. At fableandfolly.com, you'll see all of the shows we created, and you'll also see all the shows that we represent for growth and sponsorship. Um, they're all there. And you can find links to basically the site for every show has its own social and all that. Um, and you can always ping me on Twitter at it's at pass it along. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And you post some uh, wonderful articles too, for someone who might be planning to launch their own podcast or is running their own AP and just wants to know like, what do I do with my Patreon account? How do I get a Patreon account? What do I, you know, some of the considerations that go into search engine optimization or um, editing and music. And you, you've written some really interesting articles that help, um, uh, break down some of that process that I have found like, oh, that's, I should, I should be doing that on Patreon well, thanks, as well. Justin. Yeah. I'm, I so, can rant yeah. a long time about business stuff for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a, and it can be really helpful for those of us who, uh, um, it, it, trying to learn that other language to, uh, to find a way to translate what they're doing into something that, uh, can be more. Yeah. Right. Uh, so for now, uh, I will uh, release you back into the wild until we meet again, uh, Sean. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. 
And so for you, dear listener, we'll probably have another Session Zero coming out soon. Don't know the exact details of that right now. Uh, and I have another Spotlight interview that I'm recording right after I've done talking here with Sean uh, that I'll be releasing, I imagine, in two weeks from now. So for staying up to date on our schedule and what games we've got coming out, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dice Warriors. I've been posting behind the scenes updates each week at patreon.com slash terrible warriors, where I've got a few um, bonus episodes that we've recorded uh, after we've done recording, I grab my field recorder and head out into the trail, just record my <laughs> thoughts. And uh, you can you can join us for those uh, walk in the dark uh, conversations uh, as well. And uh, of course, our Discord channel remains open where you can you can jump in. If you have a podcast that you are listening to, uh, that's an actual play show that you would like me to talk to and interview, uh, be sure to send them my way. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Ecock, or you can contact us at the D- uh, Dice Warriors Twitter account as well. I run both of them. Uh, But until we meet again, uh, thank you for uh, reaching out and making your table uh, accessible and interesting and engaging and bringing in new people to your tables, whether they are storytellers or writers or somewhere in between or none of the above. You know, we're all playing a part here and helping to make this this hobby uh, more interesting and engaging than I think it has ever been before in history. And so uh, just, I think, listening to this conversation and making it all to the end uh, makes me believe that you want to be part of that process as well. So thank you for that. Uh, so until we meet again, be good to each other. Bye. Bye.